You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. In 2166, an immortal tyrant named Vandal Savage conquered the world and murdered my wife and child. I have assembled an elite team to hunt him throughout time and stop his rise to power. Unfortunately, my plan is opposed by the body I'd sworn my allegiance to, the Time Masters. In the future, my friends may not be heroes, but if we succeed, they will be remembered as legends. Welcome to the 602 Club. It's just peachy you're here. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and, uh, well, I've got some slick fellas and a wonderful lady here to talk about this really fun topic. Legends of Tomorrow. DC's Legends of Tomorrow. That's right, uh, we're gonna have a blast tonight, and, uh, as I said, I do have a rather slick fellow with us, and his name, Bruce Gibson. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. We're getting our Captain Cold impersonations out. Uh, Christy, please, please give us yours. Leonard Snart, robber of ATMs. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a great line. (laughs) I loved that. Oh, man. What a great character. Uh, Well, like I said, I think we do have kind of a bang-up show for you. We're going to be talking about uh, Legends of Tomorrow Season 1. Excuse me, DC's Legends of Tomorrow Season 1. And uh, before we do that, just reminding everyone, hey, find us all over the place. Twitter, uh, TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, you can join into the discussion on our listeners-only discussion group. Uh, that's called the Babel Conference. If you're on Facebook, type Babel into the search field. Or if you're on our website at Trek.fm, click discussion on the menu bar and that'll bring you right there if you want to leave us a voicemail you can do that uh if you want to leave us an email you can do that go over to trek.fm slash contact choose a show choose the 602 club that'll come to me and anybody else who was on the show that week and then of course uh we're all over the place where you can get your podcasts uh, google play Apple Podcasts, I mean, anywhere you get podcasts, pretty much, we're there. Uh, And if you're on Apple Podcasts, where the majority of people get their podcasts still, 70-80%, if you look at our numbers, that's still where they come from. Uh, Hit us up with a star rating review. It really does help the show grow. It just helps more people find the show um, when they're searching around for general geek shows. So make sure you do that. And uh, we're going to switch it up. Uh, Christy, if uh, people want to talk to you, somewhere online. Uh, what are you doing these days and where could they find you? Sure. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at more Christy, M-O-R-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. And um, I am not only on the 602 Club for episodes like this one, but also on all of the episodes reviewing James Bond films and uh, with John Champion and Matt here and also writing for fangirlnextdoor.com. So you can read my articles 
Yes, yes, as you should. And Bruce, uh, you know, if, if people wanted to talk to you about anything related to what we're going to talk about tonight or uh, anything else that you're doing podcast-wise, where could they find you, sir? Well, they can call me at 404-22... No, wait, no, 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 forget that. 8675309. See, we got you singing. I love it. So you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can hear me on Literary Treks here on Trek FM with Dan Gunther. And recently I've been on an episode of Earl Grey and The Edge, which is our Discovery podcast. I've been on that a couple of times. And uh, you can also find me on the Star Wars Report at StarWarsReport.com. And of course, I'm always in the Babel Conference. So you're saying that you're just a gentleman podcaster about around town, like uh, Steve Glosson type. Uh, I model myself after you, Matt, not Steve. Ah, okay. Who well, is Steve? Who? I don't, Who's Steve, Matt? <laughs> ah. Anyway, uh, you can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02. You can find me on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can find me here on the network doing the orb. Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I am on the nerd party over there talking about Star Wars with John Mills on aggressive negotiation. That's a blast. Make sure you check it out. I think you're going to love it. Uh, doing Owl Post with Drake Kaufman. Each and every chapter of Harry Potter we're walking through of the books. It's a it's just a joy. And then the last show I'm doing, we're talking about film through the lens of faith, and that's called Cinema Stories. And you can find that. Anywhere you get your podcast. So I uh, just wanted to get all that stuff out of the way so we could dive into the show here. And really, I wanted to ask you guys, this is an interesting thing. So all the DC shows have kind of come from each other. Arrow starts first, and then they introduce uh, Barry Allen in season two. And then Barry gets his own show in The Flash. And then Flash and Arrow do a crossover, and they set up Legends of Tomorrow. And then Legends of Tomorrow happens. And so I wanted to ask you guys if uh, and what you kind of thought of that setup. How did that work for you since, you know, you had to be paying attention to Flash and Arrow to kind of get where this starts, like where the some of the main characters come from because we get introduced to uh, Kendra Saunders as Hot Girl and Carter Hall as Hawkman and Vandal Savage in those two episodes. I honestly was thrilled with the way that they set it up because like you said, sort of like uh, Russian dolls, I guess, um, is a good way to explain it. You introduce one character in this existing show and then it leads to that character's own show, which leads to the next one's own show. Um, so I think it's a good way for people that may never have read the comics to come into the stories without having the previous context. Um, I read a little bit of the comics, so I'm a huge fan of Hawkman and Hawkgirl, so I was really excited that they were here. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I didn't actually finish all of Arrow, but I did at least get to see the intro of Barry Allen. And then I did finish all of Flash, and so I've seen the, the intro of Kendra and Hawkman there. Um, and then, of course, watched Legends of Tomorrow. So um, I feel like I've got a good grip on what's going on. Um, and I like the expansion, like I said, from starting with Arrow and moving to this point. Um, but Arrow is actually not my favorite. So what you're saying is, is you need to go finish Arrow because you haven't seen the wonderful Stephen 5 yet. And I could watch a lot more of Stephen Amell, which is always good. Uh, exactly. I mean, anytime he does the salmon ladder, my wife is super excited about <laughs> it. So, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of excited about it. Anyway, Bruce, save us. Uh, what did you think of the setup? 
Well, you know, when Arrow first started, it was like its own universe. Then we introduced Barry Allen as the Flash, and it was like, okay, so we have two superheroes. And then all of a sudden we start introducing these others, and that's when it really started to feel like, okay, this is a much larger superhero universe just like in the comics and that's the point where it really started to feel like the shows are working like the comics where you have different storylines different titles that all kind of inter are interwoven with each other and introduce characters with one another i specifically remember kendra being introduced because cisco is one of my favorite characters and i like that they had a little thing going there but of course you know cisco loses the girl again so i you know poor guy but i don't really now now firestorm i'm trying to remember did he appear in arrow was that his first appearance or was it in the firestorm's first yeah firestorm's first appearance uh is actually in flash and it was uh Robbie Amell's character, so Caitlin's That's fiance, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. who is the first Firestorm with Stein, and then he dies at the end of season one, helping save the world from the uh, singularity that forms. Uh, Stein survives and needs another partner, and so they find him Jax. And so that's where Jax comes into the story. We actually just watched that on Flash. and so That was like in uh, the premiere episode of one of the seasons. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the premiere of season two of Flash explains what happened yeah. to Firestorm and one of them dying and not making right. it. So. Mm-hmm. Which I like that a lot, which <laughs> you wouldn't think I did because I couldn't remember exactly what happened. But now that you mention it, I definitely do remember it because Firestorm was always, I don't know if I want to say a favorite of mine, but back when I was really into DC Comics in the late 70s, early 80s, that's when Firestorm was introduced. So I kind of have this this certain place for Firestorm in my heart because it was like he was a new character at the time that has lasted since then. And it was so yeah. unique too. Yeah. It's one character, but it's also two. Yeah, a, a, a younger guy and an old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's not really old. He's probably my age. <laughs> no, I think I think he's a little okay, bit Okay, a little. Victor Garber's a little bit older than that. <laughs> no, um, you know, I I don't mind this setup I do think that, you know, having just watched through Arrow and I've watched through that part of Flash again, the setup is a little less subtle than the Flash setup was. It kind of is more, we're introducing all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, they didn't necessarily take time away from, they, they worked in what was going on with the other characters like you know, what was going on in Arrow, what's going on in Flash, and here. And what I just loved was that they were setting this up, because as you were talking about, Bruce, you know, the whole thing starts with Arrow, and it starts in this gritty, you know, very realistic place, much like Batman Begins. Uh, that's kind of what Arrow is based on in a lot of ways, is that year one, um, there's there's nothing special happening um, it's just a bunch of arrows and, you know, um, stuff like that. There, there's no magic. There's no super speed or anything like that. And then the Flash comes in and just takes this universe, kind of turns it on its head. And the moment the Flash comes in, everything kind of comes wide open because then you get the multiverse coming in. You get time travel. You get uh, crazy, uh, you know, super villains that are, you know, Gorilla Grodd and King Shark and just all this 
crazy, crazy stuff that you never expect when you were watching Arrow in the first couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. And now it's become, like you said, it, it's this full-fledged comic book universe on TV. And they're not afraid to just do the most comic booky of things. And, I mean, you know, what could be comic bookier than the setup for this show, which is Time Master Rip Hunter is in search of Vandal Savage, who's murdered his family in uh, 2166. And... The, the whole idea of creating this team to help him stop them, um, people who may or may not really matter to the timeline that he pulls out to help him. Uh, and yeah, I just, that's kind of a, a just a wild idea that we're going to travel in time on a TV show every week, pretty much always somewhere different. Like, that's just, you know for your brain it's awesome and sometimes even two different timelines in the same episode you know they're going back to like ancient egypt and then they're going to 1970 or something it's almost like doctor who in a sense you know yeah traveling different periods of time on a ship uh somebody's got like an overcoat on (laughs) rory's in the show (laughs) yeah it, it it actually is. Yep. I mean, it, it does have that whole feel. It, it's it's kind of like Doctor Who and Star Wars and Star Trek all had a baby together, <laughs> you know, and created the show because, uh, you know, the Wave Rider has that kind of like Millennium Falcon-ish type feel to it. Um, a little bit nicer, mm-hmm. uh, let's be honest. I mean, uh, the, you got to say, Rip's office is just awesome. Uh, and... You know, I, the way that they visit places, and, and I, I do have to say, too, one of the things that I really enjoyed, especially about the first season of the show, is how they'll reference other sci-fi genres and, and like, shows in this show to explain whatever it is they're talking about, which is smart. It's just like you use that lingo that everybody understands. They're like, ah, we're we're talking about you know, um, Back to the Future rules here, or you know, uh, dropping a Star Wars reference or a Star Trek reference, or you know, and and they do it so organically. It just it makes the show even more fun than you thought it was going to be. I think. Mm-hmm. One of the things about this show too. So we we have this cast of characters. We have Ray Palmer, Sarah Lance, Martin Stein, Jax. Leonard Snart, Mick Rory, and, of course, Rip Hunter. And so we have all of these new characters or characters we've seen before in the other shows, and they all get put together in this ship. And I I feel like the whole series is a lot about these characters and the progression that they're going to go through because I really feel like this becomes a show about can people change and will they change? And so each one of these characters has that progression. And so I kind of wanted to start with, we start with Rip Hunter. And I just wanted to talk about all the characters. So with Rip, for you, what were some of the your, your favorite things about him? What some things you didn't like? What are your favorite moments? Let's just dive into him as a character. Well, you know what I liked is the performance by Arthur... Because he was, and we mentioned briefly here earlier, he played Rory in Doctor Who. And this character is totally different from Rory in Doctor Who to the point that it actually took me 
some point later in the first episode to realize, oh, wait, wait, that guy's from Doctor Who. Why didn't I pick up on it? But the character was so different. And, you know, Rory was just kind of like, oh, my, in Doctor Who, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. I mean, he got better after a while. But, but, but then we've got Rip Hunter here, who's very determined. He knows what he's doing. He's got a direction. He's got a plan. And we're going for it. And it's like everything is just so serious. And he's putting this team together. And he's out for revenge to protect his family and to adjust the timeline or do whatever he needs to do. And I really appreciate the character. But I was not familiar with this character in the comic books. And I've heard some people discuss that he's totally different or there's been different iterations of this character in the comic books. And I'm not familiar with that side of things. The only thing I know about Rip Hunter is in the show. Uh, Yeah, I'll agree with you, Bruce. I'm in the same boat. I haven't read about Rip in the comics at all. Um, Although I knew about Hawkman and Hawkgirl, um, some of the others I didn't. But I did really think that Rip was very serious, but I also noticed that he softened as the season went on. It seemed like he started out in that very, honestly, selfish standpoint of, I just need these people to help me kill this guy so I can save my family. And then really, I think it became much more and more about rather than the greater good of saving mankind being an aside thing and his family being first, that it really more moved toward, I need to think about everyone else involved here and not just my wife and son. And and that in a sad way, he realized that that their timeline was set in stone and that no matter what he did, he was not going to be able to change that. That was hard. Um, But like I said, I think that he became more human and realized that he can't always... um, think only about himself and that, you know, we don't live in a vacuum and he has to think about everyone else on the team and, um, you know, realize what's important. But I loved the, especially the, the twist at the end with the Oculus and the time Lords. Um, speaking of Dr. Who, um, because it raised that, that whole big question of, are we in control of our own free will or is everything predetermined? And I loved that. That was huge. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that is so interesting to watch all these characters have to to fight through, you know. And, you know, the way that they do set it up here in the series with, you know, these Time Masters and, you know, Rip Hunter having been a part of them is that they find out that everything had been controlled. Like, it, everything wasn't there was really no free will there. It, it, everything had been controlled by this thing that they called the Oculus that allowed them to basically manipulate time however they wanted. And so that everything laid out according to their plan. And that's, I mean, learning that and then trying to find a way to destroy that was, was really interesting because as you said, Christy, I mean, that's a huge thing. What's, Where's the intersection between free will and predestination, right? How does that work? And um, obviously here on the show, anybody messing with the timeline other than, you know, an all-nipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God is probably a bad idea. And (laughs) that's obviously a bad idea here because the the time masters have actually... uh, 
spoiler alert, if you're listening to this show, um, they've actually been working with Savage because he's the only one that they've found in time that can help, well, at least they think, that can help repel a Thengarian invasion in the future on Earth, which is where their lineage of the Time Masters is, I guess, going to come from, and that's why they're helping him. And so, yeah, it is it is a crazy thing to watch all of that happen and have Rip deal with this because, yeah, in the end, the, the beginning of this whole thing for him was how to save his family. And, spoiler alert, he's not able to do that. He's never able to to get a chance to save his family but what he does realize is that even though he can't save his own family, he can help save the rest of the world, the rest of the galaxy, uh, and make the galaxy a better place that's under, that's out from under the influence of the Time Masters. And that kind of takes over for him in the end. And it is, I mean, it, to me, it's just something that's fascinating because it is kind of what makes him kind of a jerk, through a lot of the series. Like, he's he's willing to sell them all out, basically, if he has to, to save his family. And there are places where he's just not very likable. And I think, like you said, Bruce, Arthur uh, Darvel is actually the perfect person to play that because he has a way of bringing you on his side even when he's kind of being a jerk. And in that that part really comes from the performance that he gives... And, you know, I think it's, it's really cool. I mean, I just, I really like the, I end up really enjoying the character, but it's because we get to watch him go through all of these things. And this show's only 16 episodes long. So they have this huge cast with 16 episodes and they have all of these different arcs that they're going to do. And the fact that he gets to go through such a kind of monumental arc, I think is pretty impressive for a show that's, yeah. Only 16 episodes. Yeah, he does well for 16 episodes. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the, that's the first season. I think the second season is around the same length, if I remember. So. It is. Um, so we, we talked uh, uh, about the idea of Firestorm. And, you know, Martin Stein is a character who was in Flash... And uh, a part of that show and had another partner and they have to find a new partner in Jax. And so um, these two guys are, are really interesting kind of working in tandem together. And, you know, I was I was fascinated by his storyline because for him, it, he kind of has that sad realization that maybe as far as we think we've grown maybe we haven't grown as far as we ha- thought we did because he meets his younger self a couple of times and it doesn't really go so well for him because he just realizes, man, I was a real a-hole back then. Mm-hmm. I still am. <laughs> you know, like, And you have that because you want to think that you've grown, right? And he has that whole realization, maybe I just haven't grown as much as I thought I did. And I thought that was something that's really fascinating because that's kind of, the human experience right yeah absolutely and it 
it is so fun. That's probably the best thing about this character in this series was those scenes with his younger self and witnessing himself and just wanting to say, you know, what is wrong with you? You, you, You're not thinking or you're not doing, you got to take chances and you got to do this. And he's just, his younger self is looking at himself like, are you a nutty older guy or what's wrong with you? And he's just like constantly like, it's like he's just yelling at himself, even though he's yelling at another person, it is himself. And it's just so funny to see that interaction. And I also kept thinking, wait, isn't he the guy from the Titanic? Oh yeah, that actor was in. Yeah, Titanic. yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna relate everybody yeah. to somebody. They even make a, they even make yeah. that joke too. They did, which is I great. I love that part. <laughs> yeah, I I um I agree with you, Bruce. I loved that uh, they're walking into the lab and everything and trying to you know convince him to lead them there. And before they ever even start, of course, the first thing Younger Stein is interested in is the girl. Right. And Olderstein is looking at him like, are you kidding me? And she's like, I guess I do have something to offer. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely great stuff. I also like watching his relationship with Jax because there's that fatherly relationship. And, And one of the beautiful things we get to see in Jax is, you know, he never met his father because his father died. Uh, in in military duty before uh, before he ever got a chance to know him uh, he was he was born and his father had to leave and he gets that opportunity to meet his father but in a lot of ways in the show Stein kind of becomes his father almost like super older brother or father type and I thought that that was something that was really special about the the relationship that they get to have together and you know mentorship and I've been mentored by an older guy before but it does go both ways there's so much you're going to learn as a younger guy from an older man Oh thank you man but there's <laughs> but there's also there is also an amount uh that they learn from you and what I really liked is how they showed that relationship between Jax and Martin and that it is a two-way street and that they also have to learn especially Martin he has to learn that that's a two-way street (laughs) and did you love too that they even had they called it that they they had to have that bond and that there was a mental connection of knowing mentally what's going on with the other person even if they're not in the same time period they can feel that something's wrong or something's changed I loved that Yeah, and I also feel that, I feel like Martin learns more from Jax than Jax learns from Martin. I feel like Jax has had more of, even though he's a younger character, he's had more life experiences. I feel like Martin may may have led kind of a sheltered life, and he's really learning life through Jax and through all the different experiences that he has had. And I feel that's why Martin yells at himself and later because he realizes, you know, you, you've been too sheltered. You, you've got to get out there and you've got to do things and you've got to take chances because I think he's learned that from Jax, that he just hasn't fully led his life. And even though Jax probably hasn't always had an easy life, he's had a lot of life experiences in his young life. Well, and that's something that's really interesting with Jax is that he doesn't want to go on this mission. Martin literally roofies him to go on this mission. 
And yet, I think the thing that, that Jax is able to learn from Martin is that he can do more with his life than he ever thought possible. But I think you're absolutely right in calling out that I think in the end, Martin seems to learn about loosening up with himself, not taking himself so seriously, uh, you know, letting go and and taking those chances. And I think part of that is that he feels like, maybe you know, he's older and this may be his last chance to really make a difference in the world in this way. And he doesn't want to lose that. And the partnership that they end up forming, I think, becomes a true partnership in the end. And they are kind of those people who become the the brother from another mother, you know, uh, the, the, the partner that you never thought you might have, where they will legitimately do anything for each other. And, and part of that is, is because their life depends on the other, too. Uh, and I like the way that all plays out, especially where Martin is willing to save Jax in the end, even if it might cost him his own life at, at, at in those last few episodes when he sends him back in time and back to Earth so that he can um, save Jax, which means that he, that version of Martin, may never live, uh, may, may die. And I just, it was really, it's, it's just really great stuff to watch, you know, characters like this work through that kind of thing. Oh, I, you know, I do remember that he even says that he lost Ronnie and he can't afford to lose his partner again. Like that they're so close that it really is, like you said, like father and son. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great pull. And it, it does bring back to mind, I think, the importance of that, that bond that they have. You know, that it, it goes so much beyond just that they're firestorm, it, it, it becomes a part of who they are in the same way that, you know, when two people who have been married for, uh, you know, an inordinate amount of time, you know, they just can't imagine life without the other, you know, and then when one, a lot of times, you know, when somebody who's been married for, you know, and, and happily for 50 years and one of them dies, the other one tends to a lot of times die not long after that, just because it's like, I, how can I live without my right arm, you know? So, and I think that's kind of where these characters end up. And it's it's funny to think of them like that, but it's also really interesting. And so, um, you know, with those two characters creating Firestorm, it's a lot of fun. But there's another character that, you know, I always enjoyed in Arrow, and I'm really glad that they pulled into Legends. And that's, Adam and Ray Palmer and Brandon Ralph man that guy he just he's so optimistic and like go get him like he is Mr. All-American smile and you know strong jaw and everything and he just plays this character so well but really watching his progression throughout the season I thought was another real joy in the in the series wait wait it, wait isn't that Superman it like, he was Superman yeah. Superman Returns. See, everybody I've seen from somewhere else, right? <laughs> Superman Returns. I I don't know. Bray Palmer, he was an... I mean, I enjoyed his character in Arrow, but it's re it really wasn't until he was on DC's Legends of Tomorrow that I really started to enjoy him. He's very intelligent. He's a scientist. He's smart. He's an inventor. He knows business. 
But at the same time, I feel like you could put something very obvious in front of him and he's going to miss it. And he's just got, like you said, that OG shucks kind of thing at the same time. He's such an enjoyable, likable character. And sometimes it like, like I say, it's like, I feel like he doesn't get certain things because he's just maybe too intelligent. Like, it's like my wife. It's like she, she can like play Jeopardy and get all the answers right, but she doesn't know where she puts her keys. You know, it's just like the obvious things or whatever. And that's what, uh, Ray Palmer reminds me of and I I he's probably one of my favorite characters because I always get a, at least one laugh out of a show by watching him and I know my daughter Madison also enjoys him too yeah I um honestly the first thing that I remember about him is Mick calling him haircut <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then also yeah the, come on haircut yeah everything was, and then I, I love what he says like uh well if that happens I'm gonna have to shave your head <laughs> um but yeah ray is very lovable and definitely in that way that you were saying bruce like he's very book smart but common sense might elude him sometimes um i definitely saw that in the the situation even with he and kendra having the romantic relationship because from the very beginning michael and i and my husband are watching it together and i said why does he even think he's got a chance with her? He already knows it's predetermined that her destiny is to be with Carter. So why even try? I mean, you know that at some point he's coming back and the relationship is over. Um, but it, there is this thing about Ray that, um, you know, I like his interaction with Stein actually, where, you know, he's like, I was in your class, you know, I, I actually was a, a straight A student. I'm just saying like, you know, not trying to kiss butt, but I am. Um, and, and then he, he has this incredible suit. He has all these abilities, but then he walks into the prison and he goes, Ooh, we're VIPs. <laughs> right. It's like kind of little, yeah, I love when Mick's like, <laughs> there are no VIPs in here. Yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, the, the thing that stood out to me most Christy was, was that episode when they get thrown in the gulag together and, Mick is, you know, doing his thing. He's been in prison before. He knows how it goes. And they are going to get tortured because the Soviets are trying to get Martin Stein to talk because they're trying to create their own firestorm with Vandal Savage's help. And it made it really interesting because he talked about the whole idea of that there are things that, you know, are more important than death. And there, there are things that are, are, are more important for you than worrying about dying. And that those things are principles, people, and he proves that when he's the one who takes the beating for Mick. And that's what begins to form their relationship because he actually shows that he's willing to put his his body where his mouth is. When it comes to... You know, I, I, I'm willing to put my principles on the line. He's actually willing to put his body in the line, too, and show that he truly believes what he says because he'll actually do and live out those principles. And I think that's one of those things. It's like, you know, Ray is that character who is actually that ray of sunshine the whole time in the show. He always believes that they're going to make it. Um, he believes that they can find another way. And he continually lives that out and 
I think that's a a really fun thing about this character. Like you were saying, yeah, I mean, getting together with Kendra when you know it's predestined that they're going to be, you know, him and her and Carter, and it's not going to work, dude. Uh, and yet he's willing to fight predestination for that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not always the smartest idea, uh, but I just, I, I think... Watching his progression of the show where he kind of slowly gets maybe a slightly more pessimistic, but it's kind of basically the fact that he, he's going from just being book smart to streetwise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of fun. And and the fact that he, he and Mick actually start to form a relationship, like the polar opposites of each other. That becomes something that's really cool to watch. And I think that's the thing that makes the show so much fun. It's great that they go to all these zany places, but what I love is watching the team come together in ways that you didn't expect, and one of them is watching somebody like Ray and somebody like Mick become actual friends, even though Mick would probably deny it if you asked him straight They're up. They're the kind of uh, people that if they got stranded in the woods, Mick would be like, we're stranded in the woods, what are we going to do? And Ray's going to be like, ooh, we can make s'mores and we can tell ghost stories. And Mick's like, uh, all right. <laughs> and, you know, he's enjoying it, but he's just going to grumble through it the whole time, you know. But the Adam character, the, the superhero side of him, I think is interesting because I remember reading about the Adam and Adam was just, you know, this guy that shrunk down and had, you know, tremendous strength as a small person. This version of era of not Arrow, of Adam feels almost like it's trying to be iron man that can like get small and get big again you know it's like it's the all about the suit and i almost feel like if somebody wasn't familiar with these dc characters prior to the show they would look at this as oh it's dc's attempt to have an iron man character he's a rich guy he's an inventor and he makes a suit just like tony stark did in iron man it's interesting that you said that my husband michael said that too um I just didn't see that because of all his other qualities, because I really did see, even though he had this, you know, all shucks, silly personality and, you know, perpetual optimist, he really did um, transform. You know, he had those scenes where he was in the torture chamber. And I have to say, it was really sexy when he suddenly got all tough and looks at the guy and says something like, your mom. (laughs) I don't remember what it was, but oh, it was so unexpected and so funny. Like we laughed out loud laughing. Um, And then he has that scene where he's very seriously telling Kendra how he lost his fiance and then, um, you know, forming that bond with Mick. He just seems to have so many different dimensions to him. And, you know, he's one of my favorite characters on the show. Yeah, I I, am. understand what both of you are saying and I think you have, both have fantastic points on on that and the only thing I'd say is that one of the things that the the DC TV shows have done is kind of give you the very early versions of the character and so this is kind of I feel like this is Adam 1.0 you know and the Adam in the comics has a belt that he puts on that he allows him to shrink and he hasn't gotten to the point where the technology is that small and compact that makes him be able to do that. And so I didn't really have too much of a problem with it being a suit. 
I loved when he has to shrink down and he's playing arterial asteroids <laughs> yeah. in Kendra's body uh, to help save her. That was yeah, awesome. That so was, that was yeah. one of my favorites right there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and and that was the episode like you mentioned, Christy, where him and Stein begin to bond a little bit more. Ray does have this thing like, yeah, he's super rich. He's super smart, but he also has this feeling like, well, so Rip took me. I don't really mean anything to the timeline. I don't make a difference. And his whole goal is to make a difference, you know, and in the end of the show, he is willing to sacrifice his entire life if it means that he can make a difference. He's willing to do that. And we'll get to, to you know, talking about somebody who uh, actually does that. But um, I want to ask you guys, Sarah Lance obviously was on Arrow, played the Black Canary. That's where and, I saw her before. <laughs> yeah, and she's brought back to life with the Lazarus Pit. And so she has a an interesting arc here because she's still dealing with the bloodlust of coming back from the dead with Lazarus Pit and struggling to find that center again of not being that vicious animal who just has to kill because it's a part of her now and learning to find a way to control that. And and what I thought was really interesting is that her arc seems to be one of becoming somebody who's not the follower anymore, but the leader. Because by the end of the show, you really see where she's going to be, where she takes the reins in season two. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I really liked watching her progression in this show of going from somebody who is unsure of herself, still feels doubt uh, and the pain and the frustration of coming back to life and not being able to totally control herself to becoming somebody that pretty much everybody on the ship can look to as somebody wise to look to and for leadership. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. Yeah, I definitely did not expect her to be at the end of it, driving the ship and everyone looking to her for leadership. Because, I mean, you're right, when she starts off at the beginning of the show, you know, she's really only interested in her own selfish desires. And, you know, she's unsure of herself. And she just has this constant need to fight, um, you know, miss attitude all the time. But then when people needed her, she started to, I hate to use the word again, but it kind of softened a little bit. Um, And it was interesting when she and Snart were having that private conversation when they're thinking they're going to freeze to death. And he jokingly says, uh, what was it? What's it like to die? I imagine you have a unique perspective. And... Um, and when she trains with Kendra, you know, she says, we have to bring out the tough side of you and train so that you can learn to control it. And then she realizes she's talking about herself as well. And I thought too, Matt, you would probably love that tie of her and I don't know if you say it, Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, but to Batman, that tie, I thought mm-hmm. you would love that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I love I, I've always enjoyed the fact that they use Raj Al Ghul and the, the League of Assassins and all of that stuff. So it's pretty fantastic. And you mentioned her and Snart. I love, absolutely love their flirtation. Uh, I I thought that their chemistry was hot. It was fantastic. 
And it makes me want them to do more of that in the show, especially in season three, because that because of all the things that happened in season two that doesn't really get to happen. But I forgot that that was a part of this season. And man, again, those two characters together, they really play off each other well. And I enjoyed their chemistry. So I really do hope to see that again. I That's one of my favorite things too, is the two of them together and seeing that chemistry. It's You just can see the tension there between them and that they there's something there that's igniting a fire between them yes but i really don't have anything more to say about her you guys covered everything i would have said about her she's i enjoyed her in arrow and i enjoy her in this show and like you said matt especially when you get to season two i mean she's she really steps up she really becomes Lilia. she's come a long way from when you think when who she was at the very beginning of arrow to where she is now, completely different person. She has probably had the most change than any of the other characters in this Arrowverse uh, universe of characters in this in the DC shows. So if we like had a theme song, you could say it's been a long road. It's been a getting long from there to here. Road. I had to sing a little right there. That's all you got. <laughs> no, I think the theme song should be "Love Will Keep Us Together." Yes, yes. That the fact that they go to a bar, her and Mick and Cold in the seventies and start a bar fight to Captain oh, and yeah. Tennille. Oh yeah. That was awesome. Like it a Captain and Tennille bar fight is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and I I love that song anyway. But that was just wonderful. And of course that's where you know, they come back and Kronos is attacking and he's like, we're at the bar for five minutes and you pick a fight with Boba Fett. And it's just, uh, it, that's the kind of stuff that this show does so well. Um, so I think we could probably talk about Carter Hall pretty quickly because unfortunately Carter Hall doesn't get a lot of time on the show. He actually bites it pretty early in the season and he's dead for most of it and they'll bring him back in some flashbacks. But I do kind of feel bad for the actor because Falk really doesn't get a ton to do as Carter Hall or Hawkman until really kind of the end of the season. Yeah, and I have to say that scene where he was brainwashed by Savage and totally beats Kendra <laughs> was hard to watch because you just know him so much as this guy that's always head over heels for her seeing him not know her and treat her like, you know, she's another assassin he would, you know, beat out of their life was just difficult. Um, but it, the rest of the time, the brief time that he got on screen, I do think that the actor does a great job. Um, I really, like I said, it, um, read a lot of Hawkman and Hawkgirl in the comics and I loved that timeless story of the two of them always coming back to each other, no matter what time they're in, and that they're always being chased by this past. Um, and they have these relics that could be used to either kill them or kill Savage. Um, it's just a very gripping story to me and sort of that, you know, tragic love story thing. Um and I have to say, honestly, I kind of thought Savage was cute, even though he's a vicious bad guy. He's, you know, he's got the grin. We saw him at Dragon Con last yes. year. 
No uh, way. And yeah, him and uh, in fact, we saw the whole team there. Uh, uh, but uh, was high. Carter uh, Falk and um, and I, Casper I'm Crump. blanking on his Casper Crump. That's right. Thank you. Uh, we we saw them just at a panel together, and those two together were just hysterical. Um, <laughs> profanity out the wazoo, and just r- uh, insane, ridiculous. We had a blast. So yes, that it really. I think you're right. You know, they they just picked people who I think did a great job with their characters, and and it's a, again not a lot for Carter Hall, but I I thought his best stuff was when he's been brainwashed and he get to he gets to kind of be a complete menacing jerk to them for a while. Uh, to play that difference was a lot of fun. So Kendra is a an interesting character to me. And I like her, but she's, she of all of them, she's not my favorite in this show. And I don't, I don't know if it's just because it's all, what became for her was the back and forth with Ray. And that kind of like, can I love him? You know, will it be okay? Is he just, you know, a placeholder? All of that stuff, I, I felt like. I don't know. I, I would have been much happier if, for them, she just chose to be in a relationship with Ray, and then it wasn't an issue. And then she because got to move like, on and do other things. Yeah, absolutely. Because it just kind of felt like she got stuck in that rut, and it was a little bit boring. So, Well, I did appreciate the fact that when Hawkman was killed or whatever, I thought, oh, they're going to bring him back next next episode. Oh, the next, the next. I, ke- I kept expecting him just to come back, and I'm glad they didn't do that. You know, that, you know, like you said, flashbacks and all that. But yeah, Kendra just didn't... Kendra was okay. I liked her in the beginning that she's trying to figure herself out. Like, she doesn't have the memories. They're starting to come back to her. She started to remember who she was and, and her past and such. So I started to get invested in her character and then her relationship with Ray. But yeah, then it just kind of seemed to peter out. Like, uh, there wasn't a lot there. I will say, although it was nice when they had that whole story of meeting her son as an older man and then how she's remembering flashbacks of their life, you know, and, and that it seemed completely unexpected that she and he could have a child at all, you know, that they would never be in the same time period for long enough to have that. So um, I liked that aspect of it. At least she got that, but I, yeah, I didn't like that. She never got to train much. You only got to see her with her wings, a couple of brief glimpses and that's my favorite look of her, obviously, is, you know, with the helmet and the wings open and everything. It is just unfortunate because I feel like she's the only character on the show who kind of doesn't get her. I don't know. I don't feel like she has really a full on arc because it starts to be one. But then, of course, she just kind of ends up with Dusty. And it's not a bad thing. I just don't feel like it's necessarily done as well as it could have been. So, um, I we don't have to talk about it a lot, but I love Amy, I love Amy Pemberton as Gideon. I love Gideon's snarky comebacks for you know with Rip and the rest of the group, and I love that she's just part of the show in that way. She is kind of a character, and um, spoiler alert: you will actually see a physical representation of her in the second season, which makes me want that a lot more because it's awesome. 
and so yeah, we don't really need to go into too much detail. I just is like I really enjoy the talking computer head thing, Gideon. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like she adds value to the show, just like the narrator of Desperate Housewives did. It's like she was a character, <laughs> even though you ever saw her. Oh, <laughs> uh, Desperate Legends. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I, I, gosh, Mick Rory. I mean, Dominic Purcell is hot. He, yeah. Well, that's okay, what Matt yes, was going to say. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> he is hot. Heat wave, you know, coming our way. Um, but I, what I like about his character is obviously he gets to go through this amazing arc because he starts off nothing but a criminal. He becomes somebody who's a liability to the team. And then the time mattressers pick up and turn him into Kronos. And his arc becomes about fighting through their programming to become somebody who is slowly becoming okay with being a hero. Like, it's this really great arc and I just I think he pulls the whole thing off with such an ease that you're just I mean you, you're I totally buy the whole thing and he's so good at um he doesn't have the quick wit like snart does but he's witty I mean he has his moments where you know um when they're talking about the side effects of time travel and he said hey deafness ain't one of the side effects yeah <laughs> um and yeah he oh man he gets to change so much i mean he you get to see a little bit of his story about where he came from um and i love that whole story about how he and snart came to know each other and that snart says that mick stuck up for him when snart was just a little guy um and for some reason that even though Mick comes across as this guy who's got never ending toughness, that he does have a little bit of a soft spot in there for the weaker guy, you know, for Snart, for Ray, um, and then eventually, you know, goes through the brainwashing and programming to come out on the other side when you think that he's just going to go further into that dark, angry place. Um, I, I just thought he was incredible. He just cracks me up. He, I, I, you know, it's like Mick and Snark are the perfect pair. And what's really interesting to me is these actors are also on the show Prison Break. And they had a mini season this past year. And I don't know how they had time to do both, especially uh, Dominic Purcell plays Mick because, I mean, he had a heavy load on both shows. So I don't know how he fit those all in. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy his character. He's rough and he's, I, I don't know. I keep wanting to talk about season two. I have to keep holding back, <laughs> you know, but I really, his character is really cool. See, I was a purist. No. I only watched season one. So you haven't seen season two? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh man, you got some catching up to do. Um, no, I, I think what what makes him a really interesting character is again, that he, he kind of becomes slowly more a hero, but in his own Mick Rory way. And he's always kind of going to be more of, I mean, they get to meet Jonah Hex in the season, which is just a fun episode when they go into Salvation. Well, I can't remember if it's in Arizona or whatever. Anyway, uh, and it's actually can't be in Arizona because where they filmed it looks, is 
looks nothing like Arizona. Anyway, that's a whole, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but they meet Jonah Hex, and 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 what I picture Mick Rory being is somebody in the end. He's going to be more like a Jonah Hex. Like he has a code. He he's always going to be kind of fighting for the little guy, but he's also going to be a little bit more violent, and you know, uh, you know, not necessarily always play by the rules kind of guy, and. I, I thought that that I just put that together that really I wonder if one of the reasons they put I mean not only is Jonah Hex cool and and it turned out to be a really fun episode in you know the old west South Dakota but, I just looked it up ah there you go <laughs> but and that's not what South Dakota is. <laughs> um but because it the I mean they film in Vancouver BC which basically looks where I, like where I live um anyway sorry listeners you don't care uh but i think that i wonder if that's one of the reasons that that they put him in there is because it kind of gave you a taste of who mick might become is is somebody more like a jonah hex and that's great because it, it really works for the character so i feel like every time they we start to soften him a little and get deep into him we're pulled back away you know, he seems to yeah, like soften, yeah. but then he comes rough again. Like, yeah, you know, I am friends with you. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm showing that good side of me. No, I'm not. I'm going to do something bad. It just like keeps pulling back. It's like a boomerang effect with him, which is kind of cool in the same time because it's not like we just, oh, we softened him. We learned so much about him. Oh, he's a nice guy. And now he comes across as a nice guy. He keeps turning back around and you like him and then you hate him again. That's a good point. Um. I last but not least, Captain Cold. I mean, it, to me, Went, Wentworth Miller's performance is, is phenomenal, and it makes the character. And he is this over the top, like nineteen forties delivery that he just nails, and he is the roguish villain with a heart of gold. And that's what he's slowly becoming throughout, you know, this first season. Like, he, he truly is on the path to kind of finding redemption. And it, it even more so than, than Mick. And I absolutely love that storyline. And, I, you know, having seen season two and everything, all I can say is I, I'm still interested, really interested to see how they'll use the character and where they'll take him and what they're going to do. Because it, it's a, it's not a finished story yet. And uh, here with season one, I mean, watching him make the ultimate sacrifice to save everyone, to save the galaxy, was, I didn't just, and, and all of time and space, basically. To watch him go from where he began in Flash to this, it's great stuff. Just absolutely great stuff. Yeah, he was my favorite character, hands down. I loved him on The Flash. I love him on this. Um, I am officially in the Wentworth Miller fan club. I don't know if that's a real thing. I'm making that up. Um, he just, yeah, the delivery, the cadence of the way that he speaks is so unique and so funny but then he can turn and be so serious on a dime. And the actor himself does that great, like, steely eyes look when you've made him mad that I love. Um, and I love, too, 
I wasn't thrilled about the whole relationship between he and Canary. Um, but I did think that they did have some kind of chemistry, whether it was intended to be romantic or just they understand each other. They both have this toughness about them. I think that he could only be close friends um, or whatever with a female character in that world if she had that toughness about her. He has to respect her. And um, yeah, he just, he's so funny. I mean, he has the best lines to me, hands down. You know, um, who do you think you are? Vandal Savage, destroyer of worlds. Leonard Snart, robber of ATMs. You know, and he just has this arc as well where he starts out very, again, like Rip even, selfish and then morphs into saving everyone. It broke my heart when he died. Yeah, he's definitely the bad guy turned superhero. And he's also the type of person that probably wouldn't really want to admit that, but eventually he would. You know, he'd eventually come around and say, regrettably, I'm going to admit that I probably did something good. Where Mick would be like, no, I didn't do anything good. No, no, no. But it's like, I I feel like he's really starting to come around. It's like, if you could stretch this character along even longer, I think he's just going to get more and more interesting and more and more likable. And I think I, and like you're saying about, you know, the cadence and, and, and all that, it's, it's such a great performance. He's just interesting to watch and to listen to. And did you also love their jokes between he and Mick about uh, Snart saying, man, that was cold, even for Russians? Or uh, Mick saying, can I light stuff on fire now? And he goes, I wish you would. <laughs> they, yeah, they have the best chemistry together. I absolutely love it. Like, I just, this is the thing that I, I'm. I think it's, it's oh gosh, we could continue talking about the show because there's so much more that happens. And honestly, <laughs> we didn't really ruin the entire show for you. I, I feel like it's just one of those that needs to be watched. But I want to ask you guys what you'd rate this first season because I'm really interested to see where you fell uh, when it comes to the show. What about you, Bruce? Wow. Um, you know, now that I've seen both seasons... I always thought that I liked season two better, but now it's just reminiscing about season one. I kind of like, I don't know, season one's not as bad as I thought it was, but it's not that I thought it was bad. I just thought season two was better, but now I'm not quite sure. I am I guess I'm going to stick with saying that I like season two a little better than season one, because I felt like season one was still trying to figure some things out and, and how it's pacing itself and how it's telling stories. I think when you have so many characters in a show that are also going through different time periods, it can be a bit disjointing at times. It can be a bit confusing. Um, So that would be my only criticism of the show. But I do think that they, they do really well at developing the characters and making the characters interesting. So yeah, I'm going to say that it's, it's freezing cold as captain cold, but you know, it's melting just a little bit. What about you, Christy? Um, for me, I, I don't have a season two yet to relate it to because I did not watch season two yet. I just wanted to focus on the first one for now. Um, so don't kill me. But 
Um, I felt like it did um, detract a little bit for me that sometimes it felt like it was going too many directions all at once. It has so many characters that were trying to follow these individual storylines and grow with them that it can be a lot to follow. Um, but still, I mean, we had a lot that we loved and we were all able to talk about with all of the characters, um, except really um, with Kendra and a, a little bit more with Carter than her, but still not much with them. Um so I, I think overall for me, it was like an eight out of 10. Um, I don't really have any rating prepared as far as items to rate it with, but I'm just going to, you know, be serious for a minute and say it, it takes a lot to be a 10 out of 10 for me. And this was very close because of the growth that they had because of the huge twists at the end of the season. Um, and definitely for everything with Snart and now all of the great gifts I get to use on Twitter. This is a show, you know, I, I really do. I enjoy every show in the DC TV universe for whatever it is. And this is one, though, that is special, I think, because it is just bat bleep crazy every single week. Like, you don't know what they're going to do, but they're not afraid to do whatever it is that they are going to do. There's no fear. And I think that's what makes it really special. And it's just so crazy. And it's so outlandish. And it, it just, it's gangbusters fun every single episode, I think. And and, it, and that's what I like about it. Um, and I think this first season, it does a very commendable job of, of trying to introduce a ton of characters and the type of storytelling and all that stuff. Uh, Bruce is right. Obviously, it's not perfect. Very, very few first seasons are halfway decent lots of times, but I really enjoyed rewatching this. Uh, and I really enjoyed being a part of this world again with them in their first season. And, you know, it. one of the other things about these shows that always make them fun for me is that actually getting to be back and pick up all the things that I might have missed the first time because these shows are rife with connections and stuff. This is just great stuff. I had an absolute blast watching this show. I would say this is a good four out of five uh, plays of Captain and Tennille in 1970. So There you yeah. go. Yeah, you need four, at least four out of five. Uh, no, fantastic show, and, and hope everybody will check it out if you haven't gave, given it a shot. Uh, I really wanted to say thank you. We do this show because we have great associate producers here. Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson have been supporting the show and the network through Patreon for a really long time. And don't miss it. Uh, don't miss the opportunity to be part of our team. Uh, it takes a lot of money to run what we do here in Trek FM. We have so many different shows. They're ad-free. We try to make them the best quality possible. And that all happens because of listeners just like you. And so go over to patreon.com slash Trek FM and you can see how you can be part of our team. We have some great uh, perks that come back for you um, for different levels of contribution. So again, it's patreon.com slash Trek FM. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you so much for everyone who's joined us and y'all come back now. You hear? Whatever.